chapter six, and we, we started a series last week called It Feels Like Home. This is week two, and we are answering this question. What does it take for a church to feel like home? Last week, I talked about this wall behind me. And this decorative wall is made of uh, old, reclaimed wood, all different shapes, sizes, all different angles, all different sizes. I told you that this wall represents you, represents the people who come to Waters Church, North Attleboro. That you folks are all different shapes and sizes, and you're all different backgrounds and nationalities and ethnicities, and, and you all have different experiences and come from different walks of life. But we come together here in this building and then in our small groups and in this community, and we are formed together into something beautiful for the Lord Jesus Christ. I shared this verse of scripture with you, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. This is the theme of our wall. Ephesians 2, 22 says, in him you also are being built, say this very important word with me, ready? Together into a dwelling place, say these next two words with me, for God, for by the Spirit. So, we are being built together. It is not individual mission. It is not God wants to just do something special in your life. God wants to do something special in all of our lives together corporately. And we are, we are brought together. We are formed together. We are fitted together by the Lord. And he is doing this for himself by the Holy Spirit. Now, this wood is valuable, and I talked about how Cheryl had this idea, my wife Cheryl, that we value this wood, and we paid a lot of money for this wood. This, this, is, this old antique wood is actually one of the most expensive designs we've ever done in our state. And, and this wood is valuable, and we honor this kind of valuable wood. But I wish that I could tell you that Cheryl and I practice what we preach all the time. I wish that I could tell you that we are 100% all the way all the time, the same people that you see up here. The truth of the matter is we are not. We also have our issues, right? And I have to confess something. Uh, for as much as we honor this wood and value this wood, this past week we actually did the exact opposite of this wood. We went out to a furniture store to buy some furniture for our bedroom. We bought a brand new bureau. It's a nice piece of furniture. It's a brand new bureau, eight, six, seven, or 18, whatever drawers are in there. We put it in our bedroom. But the bad news is this. The bureau comes from Ikea. <laughs> Ikea, friends. Does anybody have any Ikea furniture in their house? And you're not afraid to admit it, like me. Ikea has this real racket going on, man. I'll tell you something. It's like you buy a piece of furniture. Like that's hard enough to pick out the right piece of furniture. And if you're married, it's hard to, to agree about the right piece of furniture. Uh, but Ikea likes to add a little extra fun to the mix. Like buying the furniture and bringing it home. When you get it home, that's when the fun really begins. Because you realize as you open the boxes that they sent you home with, and basically what you have to do is you have to pick up the axe that's in the box, go outside, cut down a tree, sl slim it down, and get some screws and fit it together. They just sold you an axe and some instructions. How many know what I'm talking about? That's what Ikea furniture is like. Now, the amazing thing about Ikea is this, that if this wood is on a spectrum of value for wood, that this wood is on this side of the spectrum. But if we're really honest, Ikea is like on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right after Walmart furniture, 
and Target furniture. Right? That's where Ikea is. And so to illustrate for you, I have a piece of Ikea furniture right here. This actually is in our church. <laughs> we use this in our offices. I know, I know. We have this beautiful wood up here, and we have Ikea furniture all through this building. We're very confused. Please, <laughs> please pray for us. The thing about Ikea furniture is that it looks good, right? Looks like wood. Um, feels like wood somewhat but the more that you get to know it, the more you realize that this is not wood. It's this thing called particle wood. Actually, you're going to see in a minute, it's not even particle wood. You know what I like to call Ikea wood? I like to call Ikea wood the artist formerly known as wood. <laughs> and this used to be wood, but now it's like glue and, and chemicals and whatever mixed up together and pressed into this form and then shipped to you with all kinds of screws to put it together. But I looked at this piece of furniture and I... I realized, it's an amazing thing, that um, just to show you what I'm talking about with the cheapness of this furniture, that believe it or not, it's not even just particle wood or laminate. Actually, this is a great thing. You can just pull it right apart and put it back together. I've been doing this all weekend. Um, <laughs> actually, the wood is hollow. <laughs> hollow, ladies and gentlemen. They don't even have the decency to fill the thing up with enough particle board. I want to show you just how hollow it is, just to make sure we're all clear about this. <laughs> and it's porous. It's like a little filtration system and an end table all in one. <laughs> this IKEA wood I want you to see today because I... Because I want to make a point, okay? I want to make a point that, that when it comes to your faith and when it comes to the person that God is making you to be, you can either be this kind of wood, strong, enduring, long-lasting, or you can be Ikea wood. And there are a lot of people with faith in God that looks a lot more like Ikea than that. And God doesn't want that for you, and I don't want that for you. I want you to be strong in the Lord. In fact, we're commanded in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. But here's what I find, that many, many people, I don't even want to call them Christians, but many people who go to church, they look like wood, they feel like wood, they have a veneer of strength, but when you open them up, there's nothing there. And that like this piece of Ikea furniture, it looks like it will stand. It looks supportive. But when you put enough pressure on this wood, when you put enough weight on it, when the rubber hits the road with this thing, it'll crack. And it'll break. And it won't last. And that's the last thing that God wants for any of you. That you get out of an Ikea kind of life, this, this fake kind of life, and you learn how the Lord works in developing you into a strong man, woman, man or woman or young person of faith. How many want to be strong in the Lord? But today that's what we're talking about, all right? And we're going to answer this question, what does it take to feel like home in a, in, at the end of the message, but I want to show you 
a passage of scripture where there was a bunch of people following Jesus who had Ikea kind of faith. John chapter 6. Ikea kind of faith people. One verse here in John chapter 6 I want you to look at first is verse 66. So open your Bibles. John 6, verse 66. It says this, after this, and we'll talk about this in a moment, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That is probably the most tragic verse in the Bible, is it not? After this, many of his disciples, Jesus had people leave his church, and not just some, Many. The saddest verse in the Bible, the Ikea kind of people heard what he said and walked out the door. And, and, and I think it's hurt Jesus because he was fully man and fully God. And I believe it hurt his heart. I really do. And then the next verse, look at this. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Have you, ever, have you ever seen some people walk out the doors of faith? Like, have you ever watched somebody who looked like they were going to last and they didn't? If, if you can't say yes, just say, mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've been in Bible college. I've seen Bible college students that I grew up, that I graduated with. No longer, not just ministry, no, no longer in the faith. I did youth ministry for six years, and I've seen some of those kids no longer in the faith. I've done this job for 11 years, and I've seen some people from the early days of this church no longer in the faith. It, it's heartbreaking. It's, it hurts. I believe that's what Jesus felt here. And so he turns to his 12, the chosen 12. He says, do you guys want to leave as well? And look at this. Two verses after the most tragic verse of the Bible comes one of the best verses of the Bible. And look at Peter's response. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the eternal words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a verse. Ironically, two verses away from the tragic verse. And it comes from Peter. <laughs> right? Peter, the guy who is always opening his mouth and inserting his foot. The guy who always says the wrong thing at the wrong time. The guy who, when he doesn't know what to say, says something anyway. And Jesus has to always say, Peter, would you just stop it? You're making a fool of yourself. Over and over and over again, Peter's like saying something, and Jesus is like, no, 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 wrong again, Peter. Wrong again, Peter. And you feel bad for Peter because some of us are Peters. I'm a Peter. I like to say things even when I don't know what to say. Amen. That's why I'm a pastor. Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> but, but Peter... For as often as he blew it with God, every once in a while, Peter would hit a home run. And this is one of those places. I mean, he just goes yard with this one, baby. Where are we going to go, Jesus? Where are we going to go? We don't care if those people leave. We believe that you have the eternal words of life. And we believe that you are the Holy One of God. That's strong faith right there. That's strong, powerful. That's not Ikea kind of faith. Well, what did, it, what did it take for Peter to come to that conclusion? 
I want to walk you through that. And before we get there, I want to read this verse again from the New King James Version. Because this version kind of says a little bit clearer, a little, a, a little bit more nuanced in what I want to share with you. Verse 69, it says it like this. Also, we have come to believe. Peter says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ. In other words, Peter said, there was a time when we didn't believe. We were following you. We weren't sure. We saw some miracles. We saw some amazing things. But we weren't sure. But now we've come to believe that you are the Son of God. Faith is a journey. What was the thing, what happened that made Peter and the twelve stay and those crowds walk away? What's the difference between strong, sturdy faith and hollow faith? Well, we're going to look at that. We're going to have to back our Back up the truck. We're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter and look at it. I'm going to summarize, and we're going to walk rapidly through this very long chapter in John. John chapter 6 opens with Jesus feeding the 5,000. He's ministering the word, and he looks up, and he sees all these people who are listening to him, and he feels bad. And so he says to his disciples, look with me. Verse 5, he says, where are we to buy bread? He says this to Philip, that, we, that these people may eat. And John's little commentary here says, he said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip says, eight months' wages couldn't buy enough for everyone to have one bite. And so Philip's at a loss. He's like, are you kidding me? Let's just send them home. This is ridiculous, Jesus. And if you think Philip has no faith, look at Andrew. He comes together. Uh, Andrew actually does something very weird. He brings a little boy to Jesus. And with a lunch, with a bag lunch, and he says, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? The answer is, they are nothing among so many. But Andrew at least tries. I mean, it's a poor attempt, but he tries. And Jesus says, that'll do. Have everybody sit down, and they sit down, and then Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he gives it to the people, and miraculously, Jesus feeds 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now this is an amazing miracle. You got to think about how many people this miracle influenced. Interestingly enough, it's the only miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only other one. So this miracle was amazing for the people to see. And they are blown away. The crowd is just in love with Jesus. Of course they are. Free bread and free fish. And good teaching to go with it. And so here's what happens. When the people, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Okay, so not only do they love the fact that he's the prophet that's coming to the world and that they gave him free bread, free bread, but now they want to make him king by force. And Jesus does something strange. Two things he does. Number one, verse 15 says, he withdrew again to the mountain to be by himself. Now look at verse 16. When evening came, this is the second thing he does. His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. I want you to understand something. There are four accounts of this story. There are four accounts. I just told you that in Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John doesn't say it, but Matthew and Mark tell us 
that the reason the disciples got into the boat and set sail was because Jesus told them to get into the boat and set sail. In their accounts, Jesus dismissed the crowd, tells the disciples, get in the boat, go across the lake, and I'm going to pray. And he goes and prays. It's very important that you understand this and very important that you catch that. Jesus put them in the boat and set them off. And so he does two things. He withdraws, he withdraws, and he sends them into the ocean. Now, John makes notice, makes us realize or remember or, or, or makes note that it was dark when he did this. Now, it is scary to be on the sea. You know, we, we take our boats on lakes or on ponds, but listen, being on a boat in the sea is a whole nother level of scary. But being on a boat in the sea at night is like taking it to another level of scary. And there's only one thing that could make being on the boat at night worse. Anybody know what it is? A storm. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. And so they are on the boat at night in the sea. And verse 18 of John chapter 6, the sea became rough and a strong wind was blowing. Matthew says it like this. The boat was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. I want you to remember. They are on the boat in the sea in the storm because Jesus sent them there. And he sent them there alone. Let me say it like this. They wouldn't have been in the storm in the boat at night on the sea if Jesus hadn't put them there. You have to be wondering if you're a disciple, what is going on? Right? Have you ever had a question like this for God? Have you ever, have you ever asked it? Why this? Why now? Anybody ever asked that question? Like, you just, I don't need this right now, God. Cheryl and I, I talked about this last night, and you know this, I, I, we came back from vacation a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, we were in Florida. Our favorite part of the Florida vacation in the winter is to keep checking the weather up here on you people. <laughs> We love to do it on our smartphones. We're like, ah, it's 24 degrees. Ah. Right? But then I saw that day that you people had negative six degrees. And I was like, uh-oh. That's bad. That's pipe freezing weather. And I'm praying all through the rest of the vacation. Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. Right? We get home, pipe burst. In our closet. Right above our clothes. We walk into our closet, it's like the Rainforest Cafe. Everything just coming down. The sheetrock is broken through. It's nasty right on our clothes, carpet, everything ruined. And I have to be honest with you, I came from the weather of Florida to the weather of New England in January with the Rainforest in my closet, and I had a breakdown with God, and I said, why this? Why now? I did. And I had a frustrating moment with the Lord. I said, don't you realize that I'm trying to be a pastor for you? <laughs> it's all right to confess this, right? Because confession's good for this stuff. I'm not talking to people who are too holy to hear this, right? But let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest, right? That's small potatoes. It's clothes, it's carpet. And by the way, insurance is going to pay for it. So it's not going to be a big deal at the end of the day. But if some of you were to be honest and get up here and tell your stories, it's not small potatoes, is it? And you sometimes say to yourself, why, God? Why this, why now? Uh, I hear you. 
And I think that the disciples understood this. Because they are on the sea in the storm at night when all the while, all they were doing was listening to Jesus. And things just got worse. That's going to happen sometimes, by the way. Sometimes you're going to do the one thing that God wants you to do. And think, okay, now things should start to go better for me. And they get worse. And you're like, um, did I miss something in the manual? Right? That's what we're going to experience. Uh, bigger potatoes for me. All right? Bigger potatoes. When we decided to move into this space, like we're talking about moving out, but, but when we decided to move, it was about six, six years ago. And we were in a small church building, and we by faith decided to take this space, but this space had to get built out, and we left the church where we were in. Some of you remember this story. And we went across town and, and worshiped at the school for six months. And we were a homeless church. Now, I remember that at the time we were a small church, we only had one other staff member. And it was me, the staff member, responsible for moving all the stuff from the offices into the church. And, and, and I was like, okay, really counting on this person. And I remember the day we moved out of the building and brought all of our stuff from the offices here. And we put our boxes down. And I said goodbye to this person saying, I'll see you Monday. And we left. And then two nights later, I get a call from this person. And there's adultery in the marriage. And it's not just one person. It's several anonymous People, it's bad. And this person is now leaving the position. They're leaving the church. And amazingly enough, they decide they're going to come after the church and start trying to divide the team, the, the leadership team, and try to pull against us and start attacking us. And, and all the while, I'm like getting infuriated at these people. I'm like, hold on a second. We're in this mess because of your issues. And, and I'm mad at them, and then on top of that, I'm like, God, we are taking a step of faith for you, and now this has to happen now? You almost wanted to say to these people, could you not schedule your adultery around a different time of our church, right? Now, Lord, now I don't need this right now. I'm trying to do what you want me to do, and sometimes that's how it's going to be for you. It's going to get worse when you do things God's way. Look what happens to the disciples. Verse 19, check this out. When they had rowed about three or four miles, and by the way, that's a whole lot of rowing. Three to four miles at night in a storm. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, if you are the disciples, I want you to walk through this moment. I want you to walk through the chapter so far. You have just taken part in this beautiful miracle. You've helped Jesus provide this food for these people. You are blown away. Jesus told you to get in the boat, leaves you into the sea at night. You're in the storm, and then Jesus has the audacity to let you row for three to four miles, and all of a sudden, he shows up walking on the water, coming by your boat, just like, hey, guys, how are you doing? If you're one of the disciples, you know that you're sitting there saying, what is this? And, and, then, and then immediately, like, they bring him into the boat, and it's over, and you have to ask yourself, if you're one of the disciples, what is the point of this, Jesus? 
Like if you wanted to show us you could walk on water, you could have done it tomorrow morning. And here's the point. And if you want strong faith, you're going to have to hear it. Faith grows when God puts us in a place we don't want to be. So that we'll experience Jesus like we never would have otherwise. And so you didn't want to be divorced. And you were doing the Christian thing and sticking it out, but they walked out. No choice. You didn't want to be there. Why this? Why now? But you would never have known Jesus as the friend who sticks closer than a brother if it hadn't happened. And you didn't want to be broke for five years of your life, like struggling every single week. But you never would have known the miraculous provision of Jesus if that didn't happen. And you didn't want your father to die, but you never would have known Jesus as the comforter, the Holy Spirit who comforts us in all our sorrows so that we can comfort others. You never would have known that if Jesus hadn't allowed that to happen and you never and and you didn't want to struggle with that addiction and you still don't and you pray to God every day take this away you hate it I hate it take it away and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and it seems like God is just not answering that prayer just yet but you're learning how to depend on his strength and his grace when you fall and that's what makes faith stronger. I wish I could tell you that your faith would grow when everything's good. Because that would be my game plan for you. It would be good for you, and you'd be happy and successful, and everybody would like you, and your faith would grow. But that's just not what it, that's not when it happens. Like you people who are married, you know that your marriage does not grow on the honeymoon. The honeymoon is false advertising. Your, your marriage grows when you get home and you start to work it out. And your marriage gets stronger when you face obstacles and storms. And so you got the young kid stage storm. And then you got the teenage kid storm. And then you got the financial struggle storm. And then you got the retirement storm. And, and at the end of your life, you look back and you say, I couldn't believe, I can't believe that we made it all this way. We got stronger with the stuff that God allowed us to experience. It's not meant to destroy you. It's not meant to annihilate you. It's meant to build you. And you got to start having that kind of perspective. Everybody got your rubber bands still? Does anybody have their rubber bands? <laughs> like nobody's looking at me saying, yeah, I got it. Anybody with their rubber bands? Come on, rubber band people. Nobody. Oh, my Lord. Get your own rubber band now. That's it. 2014, what's the theme? All right, you remember the theme. Thank you. The blessing is in the stretching. That the Lord is going to stretch you this year. Stretch me this year. Stretch our church this year. And there's a blessing in it for you. Get a rubber band and come back next week with one. Because <laughs> we're going to continue to work on this theme. I promise you. <laughs> Now, we've got to shift gears in John chapter 6. We're going to look at the crowd. Let's look at the crowd. Verse 24, if you have your Bibles, because there's a difference between Peter and the crowd. 
When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, look at these words, seeking Jesus. That, that looks good. That looks, that looks right. But look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus knows their hearts. He knows people. And look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, answered them, truly I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus, I know why you're here. Don't act like you're surprised to see me. You're here because you got a free fish sandwich yesterday. <laughs> and what he's trying to tell them is that fish sandwich was not the end in itself. That was to show you who I am for you. And look what he says. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God has set his seal. Verse 28. They say to him, what shall we do then? We want food. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. What do you want us to do? What should we do? The works of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Please make a note of this. That you believe in him. This is the work God wants for your life. Believe in me. And uh, they're not getting it. Verse 30, it says this. So they said to him, <laughs> look at the audacity here. Then what sign will you do that we may believe, uh, see and believe you? What work will you perform? Our fathers ate manna. Manna was bread for 40 years that, that Moses, when he was leading them through the, through the desert, God gave them manna from heaven for 40 years in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They are pretty bold here. They're like, Jesus, are you want us to believe in you? What you going to do today? <laughs> By the way, Moses gave our ancestors uh, 40 years worth of bread. You only gave us one lunch. Step it up. Right? That, that's basically what they're saying here. <clears throat> It's, it's amazing how many people are like this, by the way. That all they really want God to do is solve their problems. Just fix it. And then we'll come to God for the fixing, and when it doesn't get fixed, we walk out the door. You know what that is? Hollow faith. It doesn't last. It breaks under the pressure of life. When we ask God to just fix our problems, what we are basically doing is treating God like a mechanic. And the only time I go see my mechanic is when I absolutely need to. I don't want to have a relationship with my mechanic. <laughs> Me and him do not talk, except for, it sounds like this. Wee, 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 wee. I mean, that's our conversations, right? I look like an idiot, and he looks at me and laughs. I don't want a deep relationship with him. And some people, that's what they want with God. They just want him to be a mechanic, a life mechanic, a life coach. Make me feel better about myself. Make me feel valuable. Make me, you know, and it's, it's just, that's just not what God is after for you. It's deeper than that. Here's what Jesus says, verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father from heaven. He gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, verse 34, talk about a crowd not getting it. Sir, give us this bread always. They don't even understand what he's saying. Verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus said. I'm the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
Verse 31, they start getting a little bit mad. 41, I'm sorry. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? It's amazing how frustrated people will get with God when God doesn't do what they thought he was going to do, what they expected him to do. Verse 51, Jesus drives home the point. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Again, again, listen. When Jesus came, people wanted him to come and solve their problems. But Jesus didn't come to solve their problems that they perceived. He came to solve the real problem, the sin problem that we are all bound with. And that he says, I'm giving my bread I'm giving my flesh as bread for you, my broken flesh, my spilled blood, the communion elements. Think about this now. Remind us that our greatest need is not for God to fix us. Our greatest need is for God to save us from our sins. That's what Jesus is saying. That, that this is not self-help, ladies and gentlemen. This is not promoting your, your spirit and the human ingenuity and making you feel better about yourself. If that's what I've done, then I have missed my calling. My calling is to tell you that you are broken, you are a sinner, and I am too, and we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day for our salvation and our justification before Almighty God. That's what we are here talking about today. Now, Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The word hard in the Greek could be translated demanding. This is awfully demanding. I got to ask you a question. What, what's so demanding about this? <laughs> truth, truth be told, yes, there are parts of the New Testament where Jesus puts some serious demands on people, right? This is not one of those places. This conversation has been basically Jesus saying, I want you to trust me. And they're saying, we want free bread. And she's like, no, trust me. Free bread. Trust me. No, sandwich, fish, bread, fish, bread, you know, sandwich. Let's go. Trust me. This is not demanding, right? But it is demanding. It is demanding. When all you want from God is the goodies he can give you. And not God himself. That's when it's demanding. And then we get this. This place. Where he says, I'm not going to give in to you there. You're going to have to trust me. Here, here's point number two if you're taking notes. Faith grows strong. When God puts you in a place where all you can do is trust Jesus. Where you can't trust your family and you can't trust your money. And you can't trust your earning potential, and you can't trust your resume, and you can't trust your abilities. Where God just kind of strips all that stuff on which you base your worth and value and ability and says, trust me. I am enough. And apart from me, you can do nothing. That's when faith actually gets stronger. Because now you stop trusting you, and you start trusting God. 
and you learn how faithful he is. You learn how faithful he is. Verse 66, they don't want any part of this. This brings us right back to our first verse. After this, his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Do you know why? Because this is who they were. Uh, I'm reading some statistics, and you are too, about faith in America. You've probably heard the stories. Christianity on the decline in America. Newsweek did an article last year or so, the death of Christianity. Amazingly now, Newsweek is bankrupt. Praise God. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> it's funny how that happened. Um, Pew Research did a story that uh, one-fifth of all Americans no longer hold any faith at all. One-fifth is the highest level ever in our history. One-third, the same study said, one-third of all adults under the age of 30 don't believe in anything. And it looks heartbreaking. And I've, I thought about it. You know why it's happening? It's really an, a, an easy answer. Here it is. America is the easiest place on earth to be an atheist. It really is. We don't really, we don't really struggle. I mean, we have our issues, we have our problems, but let's be honest with you, we don't worry about where our next meal is coming from, the majority of us. And we're so smart and we have Harvard and Yale. And we're so seduced by the celebrity culture and then we have all these ideas flowing all over the world and, 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 and the educational system has denied God and the governmental system has denied God and so we're in this system where we trust ourselves. Atheism. Easy in this country. You know the same report that talks about one-fifth of Americans no longer believing in anything also did a hundred-year study on the fastest areas of the world where Christianity is growing. From 1910 to 2010, do you know where Christianity has grown the fastest in that 100-year span? Sub-Sahara Africa. Home to the majority of the world's third world countries. Where the people have the least, they're coming to Christ the most. You know what's really ironic? What's one of the reasons why people in America don't believe in God anymore? Because of starving children in Africa. But the starving children in Africa are believing in God. Isn't that crazy? It's part of the human condition. It's part of our problem. That when things are good, we forget God. And when things are bad, we cry out to him. And this is what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Hosea says this. I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me, for there is no other Savior. Look at what he says. I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and when you were satisfied, you became proud. And you forgot me. Like that crowd on that day with Jesus, they said, if you're not going to feed us anymore, then we're done. If you're not going to fix my problem anymore... I'm done. If you're not going to make this better for me, Jesus, then I'm done. But Peter and the 12, they've been in the storm. And they got in the boat. And they rowed. And then they saw him. And they welcomed him into their boat in the middle of their problems, in the middle of their difficulty. And it made all the difference.
and said, we have come to believe. We, we have come to believe that you are the son of God. Do you know how your faith grows? Number three, if you're taking notes, faith grows. Faith grows when you keep walking with Jesus no matter what. That when every other inclination of your life says no, you say yes anyway. When you stay with him through the tough times and the good. When you refuse to put false expectations on what he should be doing for your life. And you just say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Even if I don't understand it, I'm going to trust you. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for everybody who is hearing me right now. Because someday life will hand you a storm at night on the sea. And you're going to have to make a choice to keep rowing and looking for Jesus in the middle of it. Or check out. You know what makes this wood so beautiful? You know what makes it so strong, so, so um, artistic, have so much character, so much depth? Two things. Time and experience. That's it. You know what's going to make you strong in the Lord? Time and experience. That you keep walking with Jesus. So how do I, how do I answer this question this week? What does it take for a church to feel like home? What does it take for a church to feel like home? That we become a church where people can belong while they come to believe. To be a place for people who have their questions, have their doubts, are in the storm, are wondering if this is real, and they can still be a part of this place while they come to believe. I have a, I have a, strange, I have a strange desire for this church. It's a strange desire. Maybe you don't know a pastor who would have a desire like this, but I, I do. I hope that every single week that I preach, there are people in the crowd saying, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Because I think the better place to work out whether or not you believe is here than outside. And I believe that Jesus is so compelling and the power of his word is so powerful that eventually the hound of heaven will catch you. And there's going to be no turning back for you. So that like Peter and the 12, you'll be able to say, Lord, where else can we go? We have come to believe that you are God.